So we are in this series right now. We just started it last week. It's called Kingdom Values. And the idea here is that um, we all need a set of values to drive our life. Uh, it's important to, to have values to, to give you kind of like guardrails on the road to keep you from running off, off the rails. And, and not only do we need values in church, and, and I believe that's important too. We've got to have values in church. We also need values in our families. We need values in our personal life. You need a set of values that you can take with you to your job. If you don't have these values, then, then at some point you're going to be tempted to be drawn away from what's most important. And so, so what we did is we talked last week about kingdom values. We talked about how Jesus has values. And, and we just mentioned four values last week. We mentioned that he values people, he values truth, he values purpose, and he values presence. And so uh, today what I want to do is I want to talk about that people value. And, and I want to just look at how Jesus values people. And I want us to be thinking about how we can value people the same way Jesus did. And maybe that, that's going to apply uh, to, your, to your home. It may apply to your business. It may apply to your personal life, however that case works out. So I want to give you quickly, we're going to jump right in. And it's going to kind of feel a little bit like two messages today um, in the sense of I've got four thoughts I want to give you on what, how Jesus valued people. And then I want to give you um, a, a handful of other thoughts on what it means to be healthy. And we'll, we'll get to that part in a few minutes. If I, if I sound a little scattered, I just want to let you know, um, this week, for the first time in I don't know how long, I've had to preach three, this is my third message this week, that's totally different. So Wednesday night, we had a great upper room service. If y'all were here for upper room, you really enjoyed that, I'm sure. Um, I did. It was a great service upstairs. Um, but I preached a different message there. And then yesterday, I talked to those guys. Um, and then today, I'm having to preach something different. So my brain, I'm not quite that smart to separate all those things out. So I'm sure it's going to all get mixed up in here today. We'll see what happens. So four ways Jesus valued people. And, and, and we're going to go through some scriptures on these. But the first way that Jesus valued people is he valued people over programs or traditions. I want you to think about this for a second, let that sink in, that we need to learn to value people over programs or traditions. Now, there was a time in my life when I was at a church, and, and this one particular church had a program that was built for boys. It was kind of like a, a Christian version of Boy Scouts. And so, so we had this program for boys, and, and I had been at one church before, and, and we had this same program, and it was amazing, and, and I went through it, and, and a bunch of my friends went through it, and we had a great time. I learned how to camp. I learned how to hike. I learned how to you know, tie knots. I did all the things. It was a lot of fun. Then I shifted over to another church, and whenever I went on staff at the next church, they had the same program. The problem is, they didn't have enough people to run it. They didn't have anybody excited about it. Nobody liked the program. The kids didn't like the program. The adults didn't like the program. Nobody showed up. But I was in charge of the program. And in talking to the pastor, I said, listen, I think we need to kill the program. None of the people like the program. And the pastor was... You know, like most of us as pastors, we kind of get stuck after a while on, on our programs. And, and so the pastor's like, we can't kill the program. We've been doing the program for 20 years. we got to hang on to the program. And I'm like, but the people don't like the program. And what we do sometimes is we set this program or we set traditions in our life that we feel are really important. And we have to hang on to that tradition. We have to hang on to that program. But the problem is... It doesn't have anything to do with the people. The people may be getting hurt. The people may be getting lost. And we're not ministering or, or dealing with the people. So 
A couple of ways I see that Jesus did this is in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 is an interesting little story. I'm going to read you a couple of verses. We're starting verse 9, going to verse 13. And, and here's what happens. In the, in, the, in the Bible, you've got what they call the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Um, you're supposed to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a time for rest. It was a time to give people a time out. It was a, it was a time when, when man could take a break from his work. And it was a commanded rest, which I think is pretty cool. For those of you that know a workaholic, I know you're not workaholics, but you know a workaholic, and they're probably sitting next to you. Um, If you know a workaholic, you know that sometimes you need a commanded rest. You need a time when you can stop, right? And so God implemented that in the Old Testament. Um, In the New Testament, as we shift over, we realize that Jesus is the rest for us. And so whenever we come to Christ, we get the rest that we really need. Um, But it's still good to have some rest. Well, the problem was these people had taken the Sabbath commandment, the Jews had taken the Sabbath commandment to such an extreme, to such an extreme that you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. And even today, Orthodox um, uh, uh, Jews will say that you can't turn on a light switch on the Sabbath or turn off a light switch on the Sabbath. So if you get home and your kids have left all the lights on and it's Sabbath, you're stuck with all the lights on. I hope you don't have to sleep. You know, like it's, you better cover up your eyes, right? And so they had these extreme rules on the Sabbath. So here's what Jesus does. He's got this tradition, this program. And so here's what Jesus does. Uh, then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping they w- that he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. Verse 12. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. And the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Jesus says, I know you've got a program. I know you've got a tradition. I know you've got something that you're holding tight to. But let me explain something to you. People are more important than your program. People are more important than your program. We have a, we have a, a, a tradition. We have a rule. We have a, a program here at our church right now. If you want to be on stage to, to lead worship, you want to be a part of the worship team, then, then Pastor Jonathan asks that everybody come to three practices on Wednesday nights. Like you got to show up to three practices, and that's kind of you, gonna, you get integrated into the process of becoming a worship team member. It's a great program. It's a great tradition. It's a great plan. It works well for us. Here's the problem. The problem is we have a bunch of firemen that go to our church. And firemen have the worst schedules in the world. So we got a fireman, and and he wants to be on this stage. He wants to help us with worship. But the fireman tells Pastor Jonathan, hey, I, I can't commit to being here for three. If I do three Wednesdays, it might be six months before you can use me. So Pastor Jonathan has a choice. He's got to either choose the person or the program. In a lot of places, what we would do is we choose the program. This is what we do. I can't deviate from what I do. Instead, Pastor Jonathan said, well, let's work it out. Let's see if we can bypass the program a little bit to help you get on stage quicker. It's important for us as a church family to not hold so fast to our programs and traditions that we forget about the people that are important. There's another story the Bible says in Matthew chapter 8. 
And it talks about a leper. And if you understand anything about the Bible, you know that lepers um, have this skin disease. They're considered unclean. Um, as a matter of fact, many times the lepers would have to walk through town. If you discovered you had leprosy, whenever you came into a town, first of all, you had to live outside of the city. Um, oftentimes in your own colony, your own camp, you had to stay outside the city. But if you had to come into town for some reason, you had to go through calling out to everyone, I'm a leper, I'm unclean, I'm a leper, I'm unclean, so that no one would come near you, so that no one would touch you. This is the tradition, this is the program. And I want you to look at how Jesus cares about the person more than the program. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 says this, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Let me pause right there. It would have been very easy for Jesus to just say, be clean, right? How many times in the Bible have we read stories where Jesus speaks and someone is healed? Jesus speaks and someone is raised from the dead. It's very often that that happens. But notice what Jesus does here. Verse 3, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. Jesus valued people way more than he valued programs and traditions. And so it's good to have systems. It's good to have programs. It's good to have um, different ways to operate. But if you forget about the people, then it doesn't matter what your system is. You won't have anybody to be in your system if you forget about the people. We as a church must value people. You as an as a individual must value people. We have to value the people in our own homes, right? We need to value the people in our homes over our own traditions, over our own um, programs. When I, was, when I was first married, my family has very strong Christmas traditions. Very strong, very good, strong Christmas traditions, right? I love Christmas. I mean, we eat cinnamon rolls, on Sunday morning, like right off the bat, we get some cinnamon rolls. And we've always had cinnamon rolls and um, pigs in a blanket. Like that's what we eat um, every Christmas morning. And Perry comes into our family and her family doesn't have as strong a Christmas traditions. Because they used to travel every year for Christmas. They would go to their grandparents' house at Christmas time. So their traditions are a little bit different than ours. And so, um, and, and so Perry came in and we're doing Christmas. And finally one day Perry said... Do we have to eat so many carbs on Christmas morning? Like, can we get some protein? Like, the, 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 the little pigs in a blanket aren't doing it for me. I need some eggs. I need some bacon. I need more protein. I can't handle all the carbs and all the sugar. And I had a choice in that moment. Am I going to value the person or am I going to value the, the tradition? And so I said, baby, I will make you eggs Every Christmas morning, right? Like, and so I make her eggs and I eat my cinnamon rolls every Christmas morning. Still, I, I value her though. I value her. And there's some traditions, and she won't, she won't admit this. There are many traditions I have given up for her. She's like, no, you haven't. The second way we get, let's get off away from that real fast. The second way that Jesus valued people is he valued relationships over fame. He valued relationships over fame. And I think what we do a lot of times in life is we get so enamored with social media. We get so enamored with people linking our name to a quote, right? Even though they link the wrong name and some guy from Hartzell takes all the credit. They, they, we get so enamored with our own fame that, that we forget about relationships that are important. 
And, and sometimes what we do is, is, is we get um, caught up in how many people follow us and how many likes we get. Um, and it's, everything is just really, really shallow. Think about how many friends you have on Facebook right now that you do not know, right? Like, if I look at my Facebook account right now, every so often I'll see these people pop up and they're, they're showing pictures of things, and I have to ask Perry, like, do you know who these people are? I have no clue who this person is and why they're my Facebook friend, but evidently at some point in life I accepted a friend request. I can have all the friends I want to have on Facebook, but it doesn't mean I have relationships with any of them. It's important for us as a church family to value relationships over fame. And so here's some of the things that Jesus did that I think are really cool. He often disregarded large crowds to intentionally seek out individuals. There's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus. We're not going to get into the scripture on this one. But there's a story of a guy named Zacchaeus. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a very bad person. Um, Zacchaeus was a very small person. I often make fun of how small Zacchaeus was. I'm not going to do that today. Um, But Zacchaeus was very small and very bad. And the Bible says that Jesus was in a large crowd. And he finds Zacchaeus hanging out in a tree. Because he couldn't see because he was so small. Right? And so Zacchaeus climbs up a tree. He's trying to see Jesus. Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd and says, Zacchaeus, today I want to go hang out with you. We're going to go have lunch at your house. There's another story the Bible says where, um, where there was a, a crowd that was pressing in on Jesus. And there was a crowd all around him. And he had the opportunity. Anytime you get a crowd, you got the opportunity to be famous and stand up and say, look at me. And instead, a woman touches Jesus' pants leg. And when she does, he turns around, he moves the crowd, and he finds the woman. And he heals her of, a, of an issue that she had had for 12 years. He often disregards the big crowd in order to find the individual. And what we need to learn to do is to value relationships more than fame. In Mark chapter 10, I want to read this story. I think it's a, it's a great story of how this applies. This is the story of blind Bart. That's what I call him. His name is Bartimaeus, but um, his mom ain't here to get mad at me, right? So verse 46 says this, Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. So he's got a huge following around him and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus was sitting beside the road when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby he began to shout Jesus son of David have mercy on me be quiet many people yelled at him but he only shouted louder son of David have mercy on me verse 49 when Jesus heard him he stopped and said tell him to come here so they called the blind man cheer up they said come on he's calling you the same people that told him to shut up are telling him to cheer up Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My my rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. It's important for us to recognize the fact that Jesus stops the crowd. He stops everything that's happening. He's got the opportunity to cash in on his fame, and instead he finds an individual. An individual that nobody wants, that nobody likes, that everybody's telling to shut up, that's the one Jesus finds. My wife is a great example of this. Whenever we were teenagers, we both went to the same youth group. She didn't like me um, or even talk to me when we were teenagers. Um, Somehow I wore down over all the years. But but when we were teenagers, um, one of the things that I thought was very cool about my wife is, is she was pretty. And she was popular among the youth group, right? And so uh, all the other girls knew her, and they all wanted to hang out with her. But anytime a new kid showed up to youth group, 
Perry would leave her crowd of friends and go find the new kid and sit with the new kid. As a matter of fact, one kid came one time and and she had been um, in a very bad home life. So much so that she had been taken, uh, her mother had lost custody of her. And she and her brother had to go live with foster parents that happened to go to our church. And so they brought the young lady to church with them. And um, her situation emotionally was so bad that, that even as a teenager, she would just sit in the corner and suck her thumbs or fingers or something. She would stick both hands in her mouth. Like she was just emotionally so hurt and broken that, that she didn't really function well with other people. So you know what Perry did? Perry went after this girl, even to the point that her friends would get mad at her for not hanging out with them because she wanted to go find the one person. She was willing to sacrifice her fame for a relationship. And this girl would get mad at Perry and she didn't want to have anything to do with Perry. And Perry would go sit in her lap and hug her, like forcefully say, you're going to be my friend. Like No matter what, I'm going to befriend you and you're going to like me and we're going to be best buddies. And Perry wore this girl down, right? I don't know if this is a great example or not, now that I'm saying it. It's amazing to see what happened in that girl's life. The girl ended up going to camps and conferences, just like you guys did. The girl um, now is a mother. She's she's got a family of her own. Like, you, You guys doing something back there I don't know about? Okay, all right, and now we're back, okay. If you're listening online, the lights just went out. Um, so, so she, Perry made it a point to sacrifice fame for a relationship. Listen, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, why do we have the dumb little family time where we hand out snacks and ask you to go meet somebody? Why do we do that? We don't do it to try to aggravate all the introverts. I promise you we don't. We do it because it gives you an opportunity to set to step outside of your circle and meet someone new. It gives you the opportunity to to put um, eyes on somebody that you've never met before, to shake a hand, to hug a neck, maybe to change seats. Maybe you see somebody that's come in and they're new and they don't know anybody. Maybe it gives you that opportunity to go change seats and say, I'm going to sit with this person. We do it for a reason and for a purpose. And, and, And that's one of the things we need to value here at our church. We need to value relationships over fame. We feel like that's important. The third value is this. He valued mission over comfort. He valued mission over comfort. In John chapter 4, it tells us the story of Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. If you've never heard this story, it's an incredible story, and I don't have time to get into the whole thing. But he he begins to speak to this woman at a well. It's a woman he shouldn't have been talking to. She was a Samaritan, and at the time, there was this whole racial conflict between Jews and Samaritans. And he talks to this woman. He begins to minister to this woman. He ends up starting a revival in Samaria, where this woman goes out, and she begins to witness to all these people about who Jesus is. But I want you to look at the very beginning of the story because sometimes we get enamored with what he did as as a part of his mission. He's reaching the lost and he's ministering to people and starting revival. It's so cool. But look at the beginning of the story. In verse 4 of John 4, it says he had to go through Samaria on the way. So he's going somewhere. He stops in Samaria. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, listen to the key part here, was tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. I want you to notice something. 
Jesus is tired, weary, and it's noontime, which means it's time for Chick-fil-A, but he ain't got nothing to eat, right? This is the point that many of us check out when it comes to ministry. This is the point that many of us check out when it comes to our mission, because we say, I am too tired and worn out to do one more thing. How many times do we, do we value our comfort over our mission? We go, to, we go to work, and we've got that person in the cubicle next to us. we got that guy in the office across the hall, and we know the Spirit of God is telling us we need to go talk to them about Jesus. We need to go pray with them. We need to do something about it. But we say to God, I'm just not comfortable with that. How many times do we sacrifice our Our mission for our comfort. I'm just too tired. I'm too worn out. It's important for us to to learn to value the mission that God has for us. I tell this story sometimes, but whenever... um, uh, It's been a few years ago, I guess. I was was talking um, to the church and we were doing a a message series on the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we talked about was how the Holy Spirit... um, opens up doors for us to talk to people and pray with people and witness to people. That that's part of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And we need to recognize the, the leading of the Holy Spirit to minister to people. And so I'm telling everybody that. And, and then, like the next day, I go to the gym. Now, now for you guys, if you're new here, I don't golf. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of hobbies. I enjoy exercise. That is my hobby. So if you ever ask me to go golfing with you, not going to happen. Uh, you do not want to see me golf. I've hit vehicles with golf balls, and I've hit humans with golf clubs. Like, I'm not a good golfer, right? Uh, But I love to exercise, and so one day I go to the gym, and I'm so pumped up, and I'm excited. I get to work out. This is my place to release all of my anger and frustration, right? This is my one spot. And so I go into the gym, and as soon as I go to the gym, this guy comes, and he catches me in the locker room before I step out for my workout. And he says, hey, Gabriel, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, what is it? And he begins to tell me about his marriage and about his relationships and all this life stuff that's happening to him. And so for the next hour of my workout time, I spent counseling this, this guy about his life. And I missed my workout. So I decided the next day I'm going to go in and I'm going to get two workouts. Like I'm going to do the regular workout and then I'm going to go do my own workout. So I go in the morning, do my regular workout that afternoon. I go in to do my own workout and I walk into the gym and I sit down on the bench and I'm about to do bench press or something, who knows. And whenever I sit down, somebody walks up to me. I haven't even warmed up yet. The guy walks up to me and goes, Hey, aren't you a pastor? He doesn't even know me. Aren't you a pastor? I was like, Yes, yes, I am a pastor. Like, that's one of those moments when I, wanna, I want to sacrifice my mission for my comfort. I didn't even want to tell him I was a pastor. I wanted to say, no, I'm a, I'm a garbage man. I know nothing about counseling whatsoever, right? And the guy goes, aren't you a pastor? I was like, yes, I'm a pastor. He goes, hey, can I just take a minute to ask you a question? I was like, sure, ask me a question. And he says, hey, my wife and I are in the middle of a divorce, and, and we're going through all this stuff. And I was just like, seriously? God, what are you doing? And so for the next hour of my life, I begin counseling this guy um, right there on the bench press. And I miss my workout again, right? And what I had to learn, and, and, and I got up the next Sunday and I told the church, I was like, listen, here's what God did to me. I told you guys to be aware of what the Holy Spirit might do, and he did it to me. It backfired on me, right? And, and, and here's the thing. We can't sacrifice comfort for mission. Mission has to be a priority. 
If you miss your workout, if you miss your nap time, if you, if you have to get up a little bit early, um, if you have to show up, uh, you know, stay there a little bit late, sometimes it's important that we learn to, to value our mission over our comfort. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19. Remember I told you about the story of Zacchaeus, the, the wee little man that was hiding in the tree? Well, once Jesus went home and had lunch with him, the guy radically had a transformed life. And whenever he trans, uh, Jesus transformed his life, Jesus said this in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Seeking and saving requires effort. The, the Bible doesn't say that the lost are going to just show up at the most convenient time and, and, and put themselves in front of you and say, I need to be born again. Can you pray with me at this most convenient time for you? No. Lost people, usually you have to seek them out. And if they show up, they don't show up at the right time. They always show up at an inconvenient time because that's how God works. The woman at the well didn't show up when Jesus was full and had already napped and, and had already showered. She showed up when he was hot and stinky and hungry and tired. And that's when Jesus says, it doesn't matter if it's my comfort, I've got a mission to fulfill. The last one is this. The fourth one is this. He valued the spiritual health of his followers more than the number of people that followed him. He valued the spiritual health of his followers more than the number of people that followed him. I'm really, um, I'm really glad like, that our church is doing what it's doing. Like we're, Every week we, we tend to have new people showing up and um, we're in the process right now of trying to figure out like, how can, we, how can we expand a little bit? Do we need to knock down that wall and add some more chairs? Do we need to do multiple services? Um, do we need to add a building, which is a whole other animal? Like we're, we're, we're in those talks right now, those preliminary talks, and that's really cool and that's really great. But if our value is crowd size, then we'll do whatever it takes to put more butts in seats. And that's not necessarily the kingdom of God. God's kingdom cares more about the people's hearts than about how many people are sitting in the seats. And a lot of small church pastors, they, we use this as an excuse for why we're small. Well, brother, we're small because we value discipleship. That's just an excuse because you're embarrassed how small your church is. I know that because I've used that before, right? And then one day I just realized, like, after our church would grow and then fall and then grow and then fall and then grow and then fall. And then we thought we were doing good and then COVID hit and we lost, you know, like 50% of our people. Like, like I get it. Like, after a while, um, as a matter of fact, Pastor Nathan and I talked on the phone one time because I was struggling and he was pastoring another church. And, and, and we were talking and, and uh, he just told me, he said, he said, Gabriel, does it really matter how many people walk through the doors? Like, is that your focus? Or is your focus on preaching the word and getting people saved and discipled? And so I just decided I'm just not going to care about butts and seats as much as I care about hearts being healthy. And so that was one of Jesus' things. Um, over and over again, Jesus would leave the crowds to minister to the individuals. 
quite often Jesus would preach big messages and people would be flocking to hear him, thousands of people. Um, the Bible says he fed 5,000 people, and, and most scholars believe that that was just counting the men, that, that didn't count the women and children, that it could have been upwards of 20,000 people coming to hear Jesus speak. You know what he does right after he preaches to 20,000 people? He gets in a boat with his disciples and leaves. And he begins to talk to them about the message. He begins to tell them and help them grow spiritually. A couple of quick things I just want to give you, quick hitters. The way that Jesus invested in people's uh, spiritual health. He invited them to come and see. The Bible says Jesus tells, his, tells people, come and see. Just come check out my life. He invited them to come in to be a part of his life. And, and what we can't do if we're going to value people is we can't keep people at arm's distance. We need to learn how to invite people into our lives. Let them see who we are. He invited them to, or he told them to follow me. And this is where Jesus taught them. He, he um, showed them examples. He spoke to them. He did it in public. He did it in private. He read to them. The Bible says that he read the scriptures to them. He modeled the lifestyle. And then he even gave them illustrations. Jesus understood that everybody learns in different ways and different levels. And, and so he took time to, to teach his disciples. The Bible also says that Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. In, in other words, he wanted to develop their gifts and their talents and their abilities. And he wanted to give them safe places to be able to use those gifts, talents, and abilities. Oftentimes, Jesus would ask disciples to do things that you would think he would need to do. But he's trying to delegate to help them be able to use what God's given them to do. And then the Bible says at the very end, he tells them to go out and make disciples. In other words, he trusted and deployed people. He didn't try to hoard all of the glory for himself and all of the work for himself. How does that work here at our church? We, at, our, at our church, this is just very practical, and then we're going to finish up with the last part about being healthy. Um, at, at our church, some of the ways we try to do this stuff is like, like we, we tell people, come and see, just come check out church. You can come to church and, and not feel like you have to be a member. You, you don't have to give. Um, if, if, you, if you come to church, you don't have to participate. You don't have to go work the nursery before you can come in here. Like we don't, we don't have a bunch of regulations. We invite people, just come and see, just come check us out. And we encourage you to tell your friends, just come check out church, just see what it's all about. And then we tell people to, to follow me. We encourage people to grow in their faith. It's not just about the Sunday morning messages. This is, this is great, but this is just a lecture, right? Like you're not being able to participate in this. Maybe you take notes, maybe you don't. But whenever you go to a small group or you, go to a, uh, you, you, you get with a group of friends, you have the opportunity to grow in your faith. And we want to encourage you in that. And then we talk about fishers of men at our church. We, we try to get people on teams. Like our goal is to get you into a place. Once you're here and once you become a member, we want to get you into a place where you can use the gifts and abilities God has given you. So we, we try to get you on stage or at the doors or in the nurseries. Wherever the case is, wherever you feel like you're going to blossom and be able to be used by God. And then we encourage people to go out and make disciples. And um, next year we're going to be doing mission trips, and that's going to be a lot of fun. But, but really the, the goal is to make disciples. We want to encourage you to not just, not just reach people, not just tell someone about God, but to really help them grow and develop like you're growing and developing. Because the idea is we want you to be healthy. We want you to be healthy. Listen, big and healthy are not the same thing. All right? Big and healthy are not the same thing. I used to, I used to work out at this gym in, in Auburn, and it was a sweatshop, man. I mean, it was it was legitimate, like this old warehouse, and the guy that owned it was like a former world's strongest man, and um, he did not believe in nice things. Like, 
Like all the equipment was old and dusty. They didn't have a cleaner. Nobody cleaned anything in that place. They never cleaned the bathrooms. They were super gross. Um, but, but it was just this kind of clang and bang type gym. It was a lot of fun. But there was, now when you're a real skinny guy like me and you walk into a clang and bang type gym, the problem with that is, is there was a lot of guys on steroids. Lots of guys on steroids, right? Like they all came in with the back knee and the big muscles and veins popping out everywhere. Like they were monsters. They were monsters. And they're lifting all the weights in the gym. Here's the thing. Just because they were big didn't mean they were healthy. There are ways to get big without being healthy. These guys were big, but their hearts were about to explode. Their bodies didn't produce hormones anymore. They had to get artificially done, right? They were big, and they looked good, but they weren't healthy. How many times have we seen wrestlers die in their 40s, 50s because of all the drug use? They were big and muscular, but they weren't healthy. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll focus on the big, and we forget about the healthy. And as a church, we've got to focus on what does it look like to be healthy? And we talked about this. We batted it around in staff meeting the other day. What does it look like to be healthy? And, and um, some people would like to put a bunch of like, well, it means you've got to read your Bible three times a day. And you've got to pray over every meal. And you've got to witness to one person a week. And you've got to... I mean, those are things that can be measured, I guess. But I want to talk about what does it really mean for us to be healthy here spiritually? There's, a, there's about five things I just want to give you. They're very general. The first, the first indicator of health is going to be this, desire. Desire. 1 Peter 2, uh, 2 through 3, it says, Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual, pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have um, had a taste of the Lord's kindness. We got a lot. Of, we got we got babies in the room. We got lots of babies at our church. And uh, as a matter of fact, that's that's one of those things. Like our nurseries are filling up with little babies. A lot of parents are struggling right now because they don't sleep at night. Why? Because their babies crave milk and cry out for nourishment. And what God wants from us, an indicator of our health is not necessarily how many chapters of the Bible we read or how many prayers did we pray. It is, do you have a desire for the things of God? Do you have a desire for the presence of God? Do you have a desire to see God move in your life, in your home, in your business? He's looking for our desire. He's looking for that craving, that crying out. The next one is this, being able to hear and hold the word of God. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, Jesus is telling the story of a man sowing seeds. And, and people call it the parable of the sower or the parable of the seeds. But, but really the sower is a static figure and the seeds are a static figure. It's the variable in the story is the soil. And Jesus talks about different kinds of soils and how they receive the seed being the word of God. And, and that some receive the seed, but they got... They got um, uh, weeds in them, and some receive the seed, but they got stones in them. And he talks about this one, this one soil. Check this out. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, so they never grow into full maturity. Verse 15. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people, check this out, who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. 
So the first thing, first indicator of health is this desire, but the second indicator of health is to be able to receive God's word and hold on to it until it produces something in their life. And what we tend to do sometimes in life is we'll hear God's word, we'll read God's word, and what we do is we reject what we don't like. And what Jesus says is you've got to be willing to hold on to what you don't like. Hold on to the parts that, are, that, that hurt your feelings. Hold on to the parts that are tough to understand. Hold on to them until they begin to produce fruit in you. So a sign of, of health is not necessarily reading your Bible. A sign of health is what you do with that word. Another sign of health, the third one, we've got, we've got five. The third one is growing and producing. If a plant doesn't grow, is it healthy? Nobody wants to answer that question. It's not rhetorical, and it's not a trick question. Perry? No. Perry has become... You get all the illustrations today. Perry has become a gardener um, as of late. For, for her. For her. We say in our, in our family we have brown thumbs. All right, we don't have green thumbs. We can't grow anything. Perry, some, one time, uh, Miss Sarah gave Perry a plant, and she said, you can't kill this plant. This is the unkillable plant, and it died within a week. It was brown and withered within a week. And so Perry has learned. She's got a couple of plants now that she waters and, and puts ice cubes in or something. I don't know what she does. She's kept some alive for, for over a year, right? Two years, maybe. But a lot of times, we kill plants in our home. If a plant's not growing and it's not producing fruit, chances are it's not healthy. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Jesus said this. He, he used a parable. He said there was a, there was a man one day that had a plant, uh, a tree that he was trying to grow, and the, the tree wouldn't produce. And so the owner of the tree said, I'm going to cut it down. But the gardener said, Master, don't cut it down just yet. Give me a year. Let me put some fertilizer around it. Let me work on this tree. Let me help the tree get healthy. So there's this, there's this place where if we're not growing and producing, then, then there's some area of our life that's not healthy. Here's what the Bible says in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. It says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. These are all good things. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. There's no measurable on how much I'm growing, but there is something to being healthy that there is growth. We tell people a lot of an old story. My dad preached a message one time called High Watermarks. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago. But if you look at a river, at a bridge, you can see high water, where the river used to be and then where it is now, Right? You can see where the algae is still there and where the river is now. My goal as a Christian is not to have high watermarks. I want to continue to grow. I don't want to regress. And I want to produce fruit. The, the, the fourth one is this, having deep roots. A, a healthy plant, a healthy person is going to have deep roots. Have you ever noticed the easiest weeds to pull up in your yard are sometimes the tallest weeds? Because they have shallow roots. You just pop them right up. Just because you're tall doesn't necessarily, uh, or visible, doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. Right? We want deep roots. And so, here's what the Bible says in Colossians 2. It says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. In other words, it's not a 
shake the preacher's hand. It's not a one-time deal. It's a continuation. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Ephesians 3 says this, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand all, as, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We need deep roots. One of the ways we get those deep roots is in relationships with people, right? Going to small groups where Pastor Nathan is, is leading our small groups. If you want to be a small group leader, you talk to him. He'll help you get connected. Um, but in mid-September, we're going to open up small groups. And, and we encourage you, get in a small group. Find some people that you can do life with and you can talk to and you can dig down deep into God's word. The last one is this. The last indicator of health is your ability to reach out to other people. As a church, we are healthier, we're healthiest when we're reaching out, when we're not just confined to the four walls. We don't want to just stay here. We want to reach out. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. He didn't say, I came just for the 12 disciples and that's it. This is all I'm doing. He said, I want to reach out. I want to find people. I want to minister to people. And so um, we're at our healthiest when we're reaching out to others. The Bible says that we should be fruitful and multiply. The way you do that is by reaching out to others. One of the things I love about this church, I love about this church, is, is you as a people are not afraid to invite your friends to church. You're not. Like, despite my uh, preaching, you're just like, I'll still invite them, I don't care, because I want someone to sit by me, Right? But you guys invite people all the time. Like, you are so good at reaching out to, to people. And I feel like that's a sign of health as a church. Are we willing to reach out to others? Um, Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses. That word witness there, in the Greek, the, um, the root word of witness is the same root word for martyr. Now, and you're like, wow, you just made this very much a downer message. I'm not saying you got to die. Here's what I'm saying. Look at the impact the Spirit of God has on the disciples. That Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. So much so that you'll be willing to do anything and go anywhere to tell people about me. That's a sign of health. When you get to that point, that becomes a sign of health in your life. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Every Sunday morning, we do the same thing. We've talked about, as a staff, we've talked about changing our Sunday morning format a little bit here and there just to shake things up. And, but there's one thing we won't change... And that is praying at the end of service. So I've got some people in our church that, that, that are part of our prayer team. They're going to slip out of their seats. They're going to come down to the front. And they just want to pray with you today. They want to pray with you. And here's why. The book of James says this. Is anyone among you sick? Call for the elders of the church and let them lay hands on you and pray for you. And, and here's what I want to look at today. Is anyone in the church today, do you see areas of your life where spiritually 
you're saying, Gabriel, I'm not as healthy as I want to be. I, I see some areas that, that I need to be healthy spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I've got some areas that I'm not healthy. This year has been the hardest year um, of our lives, my wife and I, as far as our personal health is concerned. We've had a variety of illnesses, um, issues, injuries, all with eyes, right? We've had a variety of them. Here's the thing about it. Most of them have not been visible. Most of them are not visible. It's not like you can walk up and just tell, hey, uh, she's in pain or he's in pain or they're dealing with this or they're dealing with that. A lot of times it's internal. It's something that not everybody can see. And we can look healthy on the outside, but when we go to the doctor, we find out, hey, there's some issues we need to work on. We're not dying. We're okay. Just heads up. The point is this. Sometimes you can look healthy spiritually on the outside. We can come to church and we can raise our hands and we can sing the songs and, and we can take notes on the message and we can show up at small group and we can go to the upper room service or we can, we can go on the missions trip. Whatever the case is, we can look healthy, but we know on the inside there's some areas where we're hurting, we're struggling, and we need help. Maybe that area is just not even knowing Christ at all, not even serving Him. Maybe you're a Christian in name only, or you just go to church, but you don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, he would lead the crowd to find you. He would lead the crowd to find you. He would leave me. He doesn't view me as anything special just because I'm the preacher and I've got a microphone. He would walk straight off of the stage and he would come find you today just so he would have a relationship with you. So I want you to close your eyes for just a second. Just give me a moment where you can get alone with Christ, alone with your thoughts. And and Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. I ask right now that you would begin to reveal any areas of our life, God, where we may be struggling or hurting. And even if no one else knows it, even if our family doesn't recognize it, even if our friends don't see it, God, I just know today I might be hurting on the inside and I need you to bring some healing to my life. Whether it's in the area of desire or or holding on to your word, or growing and producing fruit. Maybe it's an area of having deep roots or reaching out to others. Whatever area it is, God, I may be struggling with that today. If that's you this morning, if you're struggling with any of that, or if you say, Gabriel, I need healing, or I need, I just need someone to pray with me about something going on in my life, then we want to open up these altars to you today, and we want you to come down and let one of our friends pray with you before we close out the service today. We're going to sing one more song. As we do, I invite you to leave your seats and come down for prayer if you need us to pray with you this morning.